You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Lindsay Anderson Beer. This podcast is supported by the Young Michalski Foundation. For me, I don't start a project unless I have a really clear understanding of who the main characters are and why this is a journey that's necessary for them and why are these both the best and the worst people to be in this scenario. That's a a question I ask myself all the time because you need to know what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are the dramatic tension points going to be where these specific people can really succeed or really fail in this scenario. And I read that one of your most enjoyable experiences in a writer's room with Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, because I love people who are passionate and he's just so passionate. And I've never been in a writer's room or even really in any kind of development experience where a director was just so passionate and so full of energetic ideas. And and that was really inspiring. Somebody who just completely knows their own point of view and gets excited by their own ideas is, is just fun to watch. You know, when you made that directorial step, I believe you sought advice from J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I was about to shoot Pet Cemetery. I was finishing up my work on Star Trek 4, which I had to leave to do Pet Cemetery. So I had been working with Jay closely for a while on the script. And so I just asked if he had any advice in terms of just practical stuff on set. And I mean, I've been on so many sets, but still as a director who's done so many projects. So he, he did give me some great advice just about making it through such long days and kind of taking time for yourself and, and just keeping your sanity. That was the focus of the advice and he was just very generous and and sweet about that but I think that people think of directing mostly as a creative job right like even if you don't directly conceive of every detail you instruct and sign off on every little detail of a film every sound everything that's on screen the, the final color the final mix every little detail and you make a bazillion decisions a day but what I think a lot of people don't understand is that you're also managing so many personalities and emotions through the whole thing and that you work with hundreds of people on a daily basis who are doing their jobs in their various departments and trying to get them on the same page as your vision and and coordinate them with each other and also keep them happy during long days and make sure that they feel heard and there's so many things that happen when you're not even in the room that they get mad about because somebody else did something and then you have to go in and fix it. There's a whole kind of personality management aspect to the job that I think a lot of people don't understand. But for me, I would say the rule of thumb that I followed was just making sure that I treated everybody as a human being and not just, you know, somebody working underneath me and think about, okay, if this person's in a bad mood or frustrated, where is that coming from? Because maybe they just worked too long last night. Just kind of keeping that human element in mind and also saying thank you. I I can't tell you how many times on this project I heard the words, I've never heard a director say thank you. What are you talking about? So I think it's just incredibly important to keep kindness and respect at the forefront. I think a lot about Barbie and Greta Gerwig. And could a man write and direct like a really funny Barbie movie? Of course. But do I think that a man could have ever created the phenomenon that is Barbie? I don't. Because it was so infused with her authentic female experience in the patriarchy. And she put so much of that into it. And that's really what shines in that movie. And I think that 
movies like that where you kind of trust in one human creative and let their artistry and humanity shine is when you create these standout pieces of art that really capture imagination and attention. I just don't know why humans always seem intent on replacing themselves, you know, whether it's the industrial revolution or now the AI revolution. We just can't help ourselves. We need to have strong regulations in place because there are certainly lots of professions where we certainly will be able to replace people with AI. But why would we want to do that? Having a sense of purpose and the pride we all get from working, you know, regardless of what that job is obviously so important in addition to the money. I don't I don't understand sometimes where people's motivations come from. I mean, it's such a difficult and huge issue. And for me, it's absolutely not one-sided and it's not a simple answer. I think that anybody who thinks that AI is going to completely save us is certainly fooling themselves. And anybody who thinks that AI is just evil or just harmful is also overlooking the very, very obvious benefits from drug and cancer research and other illnesses. And there are so many things that AI can help us solve very quickly that we don't yet have solutions to. That said, AI is made by us and it is filled with our own biases. And when you enable an incredibly smart but biased and flawed thing to rule your life, that's never going to end up with a good outcome. So I think we need a lot of regulations. And I think that we should be very scared of what happens when we allow AI to become too smart because because at that point, regulations aren't going to help. I honestly don't even know at this point if we've crossed the threshold. If we haven't, we're very close to crossing the threshold, in my opinion, of not being able to control what we've created. And that does scare me. For the creative process in particular, I mean, beyond the fact that it wouldn't make any sense for people to use AI because you can't copyright it. So studios and networks wouldn't own their own material. I can't even begin to tell you how many problems I see with using AI in the writing or directing process. First of all, if a writer or director is just using it to help them, I think it's cheating. I wouldn't ask AI to help me write an episode any more than I would ask a writer's assistant to write an episode for me and then claim it was me. I find it very exploitive and lazy to think that anybody would actually do that. And then in terms of just the humanity of it all, do I think that AI could write very serviceable screenplays? I do. You know, right now we're close to having that. If you feed AI 20 episodes of a long run show, it can absolutely spit out a mostly serviceable episode that sure you'd have to clean up in terms of some weird stuff in there. But we're probably a year or two away if having AI that can create okay enough scripts. But why would we ever want okay enough scripts? I think we've already seen with humans behind it, when you just have okay enough scripts and scripts that aren't written from authentic human experience, you get something that's fine, but it doesn't move you. And it doesn't become a phenomenon and it doesn't grab audiences enough to inspire you to go to a theater or to spawn seasons of television watching. I think it's its own animal and this is why science fiction has always been my first love where I think it really allows you to think about our connection to the universe to kind of be a futurist and think about what society could look like or has looked like. And I think there's no other genre, for me at least, where I feel like action and consequence and forecasting and imagination, all of those things can kind of come together in one story.
I don't believe in writer's block. I don't think it's a thing. I think that if you have, quote, writer's block, there are usually only two causes. And one is just anxiety that has gotten in your own head and has nothing to do with the creative process. And you're just afraid to fail. So you're afraid to try is what I've seen in a lot of people that I've worked with. And when you take away that fear and anxiety, I don't think that writer's block really happens. Or it's the wrong story for you. And I've seen that with a lot of people who have worked on a screenplay for like two years and not finished it. And I'm like, that's the wrong story. Try another story. If it's taking that long, it's not the story for you. But I, I think that, you know, scientifically, if you don't have a story breakthrough, taking a shower, doing exercise, eating something rote like popcorn or chips, basically anything that's kind of a rote activity that allows your mind to, to kind of tune out a little bit is something that can help activate the creative process. And that's neuroscientifically proven. I think that the confidence that I'm talking about in terms of what I just said, in terms of allowing yourself to turn out something that isn't perfect and to still believe in yourself. I think that comes from my love of science and my understanding of the scientific process. You know, so many experiments fail the first time or the second time or the third time. Also, so many startup companies in Silicon Valley fail and then they innovate and they innovate and they become big hits. And to me, it's the difference between what's called a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset where people think that they either have a fixed amount of talent or they believe that they have a growing amount of talent where more practice and more input can affect the outcome. And I don't believe that human beings have fixed talent. I believe that human beings have growing talent and that they shouldn't be so fearful of just trying and learning and growing. I don't think that there are any more important stories to tell right now than ones with environmental messages. We obviously are beyond this tipping point or at a crisis point and allowing people to understand that and not just understand the ramifications, but understand what they can actually do and what life could look like if we did change our behavior and what those steps could be, I think, is our greatest imperative as storytellers right now. I also try to think beyond it in terms of, okay, what is the solution to this? What is the hopeful outcome? What can we actually do to ensure a happier future? Because one thing I think is incredibly important, we don't create this sense that everything is hopeless and that, you know, there's been so much dystopian material that we've put out over the last five to 10 years. And I feel like it's almost created a sense of complacency among people where it's like, oh, well, of course the future is going to be terrible and there's nothing we can do about it. I think that's a dangerous sentiment. I think it's really important to give people a different point of view where things feel actionable, right? Where we can maybe coexist with some of these big changes and adapt and try to create that kind of more hopeful future. I also think I'm somebody who's maybe a little half and half in terms of my lightness and my darkness. And I am somebody who has gone through a lot of very, very difficult things in life, but I'm still standing and I'm still hopeful and I'm still positive. And so I try to bring that to everything I write, where even if it's a sad or dark thing, it's a little bittersweet and there's still some lightness to it. Or even if it is light, that there's still some darkness and some reality to it. I'm somebody who's very drawn to things that aren't totally light or totally dark because that hasn't been my experience of life. My life has been very mixed and I can only bring my own point of view. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or news, click to subscribe. Thank you for listening.